It's going to be kicking off. So today we're going to have a lot of fun together. Well, I think it's fun anyways, but I'm just a little weird this way. Um, before I dive in, show of hands, how many of you like doing kind of these personality profile exams? You know, like things like Myers-Briggs and Strength Finders, and you like to know if you're an LMNOP type personality, or am I an XYZ plus Q and all these kind of things. I don't even know what they all are. One of my favorite ones was um, uh, was Strength Finders 2.0. I did that a number of years ago when I went on this leadership training uh, called Crest. And one of my top things that came up was that I'm a futurist. Now, as a nerd, I just thought that was cool. I was like, I don't even know what the definition of it meant was, but I'm like putting that on all my business cards now. Pastor Kevin Presso, futurist. You know, it just sounded really awesome, right? And I, I really love doing these things. I, I, you know, I think there's some really cool science behind some of this, the psychology behind these things. Some of them are scary accurate. How you can fill out 120 questions and then you read a 40 page document and it's like, how did this person break into my house and know everything about me? Right. It's fascinating how those things play out in our lives. And I like to do those things against, you know, to strengthen my leadership of the church and different things like that. I do them because I like to test myself. I like to evaluate how I'm doing. So today what I'm going to do as we kick off a brand new sermon series today is we're all going to take a test together. I'm going to help you evaluate how is your faith in Jesus today. There's a fun test. I mean, the Bible actually tells us to test ourselves. And yet, sometimes we just go through the motions of Christian life. We just go through the motions of religion. We just go through the motions of church. And we hope you're doing all right. We hope you're growing spiritually. Because we don't really have a way that we test you. Because I don't know how many people would continue to come to our church if I gave you an exam every six months. We'll talk to my wife. It's like, that's so fun. You can tell she's a little bit like me. We like these profile things, right? So today what we're going to do, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series, and we're going to be doing this series for the remainder of the summer leading right up to our September 11th, 50th anniversary celebration. And we're going to be going through the book of Isaiah. Now, some of you might have done the math already going, wait a minute, there's only like five weeks left, and there's like 60 odd chapters in Isaiah. Okay, we're not going through the whole book verse by verse. What I want us to do for the remainder of the summer is to highlight some things from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is an amazing book to study, an amazing book to study. It's, it's a complicated book to study, but it's amazing because in it, you can learn so much about the character and the nature of God. You see so many kind of future prophetic words about the coming suffering servant, the coming Messiah, who's going to come and save humanity from their sin. We learn about the nature of God's people and the relationship that God has with his people when they're closely following him or when they're kind of going in the opposite direction and not following him. 
And we see so much about the character and nature of God. So I thought this would be a great series to go over during the summer, just to kind of, again, look at the nature of God and look at our personal relationship with God and even look at it as a church. How are we doing in this walk with God? So if you're not familiar with you know, the Bible, I'll give you just a very quick history lesson as we start off um, to talk a little bit about who Isaiah is so you can get a better understanding of what's going on. Okay, And so, again, the book of Isaiah addresses a number of big issues. It talks about the problem of sin. It talks about our need of the, the humanity's need of salvation. Um, Isaiah was a prophet in ancient Israel um, during the 8th century. So about 800 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah was a prophet, and he ministered there for about 40 years. He actually was a prophet who went through four different kings. Okay, so just think like about that like in our political context. It's someone who works for four different prime ministers or four different presidents. Right? So he was there and was constant throughout the all of these decades. And now in the history of Israel at that point, Israel had actually split into two nations. So the whole idea of Christians not getting along and causing church splits is quite biblical. Okay, it happens all the time. Okay, it happened to the people of Israel. Where after King Solomon, so King Solomon was the son of King David, after King Solomon's reign, the next king, Solomon's son, just did a whole bunch of taxations and tried to manipulate people. He wasn't a very good king, tried to get all this money, and then people, they just split. And so you had two nations. You had the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel to the north. Now, in Judah is where we found the city of Jerusalem with the temple of God. And this is where Isaiah is ministering here. Again, probably for about 60 years, actually, he's doing this ministry. And throughout these 60 years, prophets tend to get a bad reputation because it sounds like they bring a lot of doom and gloom to people. Well, the reason they bring a lot of doom and gloom is because they're crying out the heart of God (laughs) to draw people back to God. That's the point. Like the point of telling someone about sin is not to make the person feel guilty and shameful and make them feel like they're judged. The point of calling out sin is to draw people away from sin. And it's actually done, and we study this as we go through Isaiah, that Isaiah's messages are filled with mercy and justice. Mercy and justice as it points to salvation. And in fact, your book of of Isaiah is one of, it's probably the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Like that's how important this book is to pointing people to Jesus. So again, to kick this series off, I want each and every one of us to do a little bit of a profile test today. It's not going to be 120 questions. I have three. Three questions I'm going to ask you today. And I would encourage you to write the questions down today. I would encourage you to answer the questions honestly. Maybe not today. Some of you, for some of us, it might take a few days to process and ask ourselves Really, what is the answer to these three questions? As a way to examine, as a way to examine our faith, because that, you know, faith is a huge, huge, important component to the entire Bible. 
So in order to help us do this, I'm not just making up these questions on my own. I pull them out of Isaiah chapter 1 from this cry, from this prophetic word that Isaiah is giving to the people of Israel here, the people of Judah that he's, you know, who have turned from God. They've turned from God in one way, but in other ways, it looks like they're still following God. And so I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to go through 10 verses here. I'm going to be reading from verse 10 to 20. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. So Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, you might be kind of wondering, Sodom and Gomorrah, those sound familiar. Those were bad places <laughs> where people were disobedient to God, who weren't following God, who were following their own way, doing their own thing. <laughs> and then God got rid of those places. God dealt with them. And so it's like kind of weird that they're being referred to here. It's like, wait a minute, why are they being referred to? Are they still around? Well, there's, there's some context happening here that God is speaking to people who are living like people far from God's ways, right? And then he continues in verse 11. Again, these are the words of God through the prophet. It says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon fests, the feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. This is like some rough language here. God's not happy here. Are you getting that? It's important. God's not happy with his people. And it continues, right? They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they, will, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. <laughs> now, Again, we got to remember context, which is always very, very important whenever we study anything in the Bible. And so here we got God clearly not happy with his people, the people of Israel. And he's not happy with how they're living out their faith. He's not happy with their sacrifices. 
not happy with the way that they are worshiping God. Right now, we as Christians, 3000 years later from when this is written, we know we worship God differently because we're not part of the old covenant. Yeah, where we had to offer sacrifices at the altar and slaughter lambs and goats and sheep and bring grains and oil and birds and vegetables and all those things. None of us bring any of that stuff to church anymore. We're under a new covenant because Jesus died for our sin. This salvation that he talks about at the end of this passage about this being made white, to be made pure, comes because of Jesus's sacrifice, the fact that Jesus's blood was spilt for us. Okay, so there's a difference in our lives, but there's a weird thing that happens when we as Christians, we know like, man, we are free because of what Jesus has done. We're free from religious rules. We're free from religious traditions. So we're free and we're free indeed because Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of religion. And that's true. But then in our freedom, if we're not careful, we, we abuse our relationship with God. Because I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Whatever I want, Jesus forgives me. All of this kind of language that we use. And so because we're afraid of freedom, we go, well, we better put in a whole bunch of religious rules and a whole bunch of religious traditions because we really don't like our freedom. And what happens is, because we're afraid of freedom and we don't want to abuse our relationship with God in our freedom, well, then we better put all of these rules in place. Right? And I kind of asked this question. This isn't one of the three questions, but this is a bonus question. How many of you were raised in a very strict religious environment? The number of hands go up. Right? And it's so strict. It's better keep all the rules. And is that the heart of God? I was actually reflecting on this exact difference between this freedom and the and religious tradition and rules. And I was actually just reflecting and I was going through social media trying to find like all of the all the kids that I grew up with in elementary school. And I grew up in a very strict religious school. And I can't find a single one of them who still believes in God and worships God. Not one. Okay, I'm one. <laughs> but I can't find any. So there's this danger, too much freedom, we break the heart of God because we're not being obedient. Too many rules, we drive people away from the heart of God. <laughs> so what is it? How do we test our faith? Well, I think there's some clues in here. And I think, I see the clues in here. I want to show them to you today so that you can test your faith. Are you living out this complete freedom that's disobeying the heart of God? Or are you living under such strict religious rules that you're actually breaking the heart of God without even knowing it? That's what I hope these three questions will do so we can look at our faith. So the first question that we all have to ask ourselves is, and this is a tough question. This is a tough one. I realize you're not going to come up with the answer to this right away. You have to ask yourself. I'm asking myself, are my sacrifices meaningless? Are my sacrifices meaningless? See, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13, God flat out says these words. One, two, three, four words. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. 
ouch, right? It's like, ouch. Now, again, we're looking at this going, well, I didn't bring a goat to church this morning. So I'm okay. I didn't bring a sheep. I didn't bring a lamb. I didn't bring doves. I didn't bring oil. None of you brought fresh vegetables from your garden this morning to offer the 10% to the priest. Don't bring me your vegetables. It doesn't work that way. I have enough of my own vegetables that I'm dealing with, okay? Stop bringing meaning, meaningless offerings, right? What is this talking about here, and how does this apply for us today, right? And then what's even fascinating about this verse is God then says this question. He goes, who told you to do this? And the answer is like, um, you. Moses did. Like Moses told us to bring these offerings. Moses told us to, we have to build this tent and we have to build an altar and we have to have like the lamps and the fire and the incense and the priests and the Levites were there and they would sacrifice these animals to atone for the sin of the people of Israel. God, you told us. But God's actually saying, yeah, I told you to do that. But what's going on in your heart is not what I told you to do. That you've made these sacrifices, these rules, these traditions so much more important than the heart. See, because the, God's call on the people of Israel was to be a blessing to all the world. That was the initial covenant to Abraham, was that you will be a blessing to all the nations. And then the Jewish people created a system that they used to judge all the nations to say, look how holy and awesome we are and look how sinful and far from God and horrible you are. In fact, they created additional rules and additional traditions to ensure that those people would never come near them. Stay away from us because we don't want to be unclean by your presence. So you're going to worship at the temple, you're bringing in your lamb, you're slaughtering your lamb, you're bringing in your vegetables, you're bringing in your grain, you're bringing in your oil, and your heart is like, but these people, I hate them, and I don't want them anywhere near me. That sacrifice is meaningless. Stop it. And I think we as the church have to ask this question really seriously. Because we so love doing church, <laughs> and we like the music our way, we like the traditions our way, we like the potlucks, the potlucks our way, like all these things that we love about church. And I'm not saying these are bad things. I love them. They're great things. But when those things are more important than people outside of this building who don't know God, we're wrong. <laughs> because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick. The reason God gave the church to the world is the exact same reason why he gave the people of Israel to the world to be a blessing to all the nations. So if we just huddle up and do church in a way that we love and we keep the doors closed, metaphorically, that we don't want anyone to come in here that's different than us. Or we don't want to go out to them because we're worried that they're going to corrupt us. Our offerings are meaningless, according to God himself, to his people. So that's a tough question that we all have to wrestle with. 
Am I letting my heart become so hard against people outside the church that what I do inside the church might be meaningless? I've been wrestling with that this week. Second question that I'd like us all to ask ourselves is this. Are my prayers just for my blessing? Are my prayers just for my blessing? Again, God says to his people here in verse 15, he says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, (laughs) I hide my eyes from you. And then it continues, it says, even if you pray a lot, even if you're offering multiple prayers to God, God's not listening. His eyes are like, yeah, you just keep doing what you're doing over there. It's like he turns his back on our prayers. And that, again, and that's a tough thing that we have to ask ourselves because this is not just an Old Testament concept. We see this concept play out a little bit in the New Testament as well, too. Where how we're living is crucially important in our relationship with God. So it's here, so it's talking about people are praying, so they're still, they're going to temple. They're still religious. They're still keeping the rules. They're still doing everything that they're told to do. They're still being legalistic about prayer. But God's not listening to it. Right? And then he kind of makes this comment here at the end of verse 15. He says, where your hands are full of blood. Now, again, different scholars uh, disagree on exactly what that might mean. It it could be because there are people that are no good, and they've actually been hurting people, and they've been at at war, and they've been killing people, and there's literal blood on their hands. It also could just be a posture. It could be this attitude, because Jesus talks about this as well, too. He says, when you think of someone over there, you think of a brother or sister, and you think of them as a raka which is a harsh word, meaning you think of that person as an idiot, you've committed murder in your heart. So it might not even be a physical act of violence. It could be a heart act of violence that we allow to creep in, right? And we can actually make that leap that it's not just, you know, physical blood, that it's kind of a a heart thing. Because later on in Isaiah, in Isaiah 59, verse 3, It talks about what we say. In Isaiah 59, verse 3, it says, Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. And then it continues in that section and say, That's like murder. You have blood on your hands because of how you use your tongue. And so God doesn't hear prayer. Right? And I think one of the ways, and this is kind of me pulling out some concepts from other parts of the Bible. It's not directly said here in Isaiah chapter 1. But if we're going to test ourselves on our prayer life, if we're going to test our relationship with God, I think prayer is a great way to test our faith. How do you and I pray? Do your, can your prayers be summed up in three words? Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want, I want. That was more than three words. Okay? Again, and there's nothing wrong with praying for what you want. And there's nothing wrong for praying for what you need. In fact, Jesus tells us to do that. God tells us to do that. But if that's the only way you pray, if it's the only way I pray, we might be allowing some wickedness to creep into our hearts. 
It might be a way to test our faith. Do I pray the way God prays? One of the things that I, I learned this early on in my faith, like I was a brand new Christian. I was attending a men's Bible study in my church in Montreal. And um, again, I was new to this Bible thing, new to faith and, and all of that. And one of my mentors there just literally told me, he goes, every single day, Kevin, just open up the book of Psalms, start in Psalm number one, and that's your prayer for the day. And then every day, I didn't do it every day. I did it regularly. <laughs> then I went to Psalm number two and Psalm number three and Psalm number four all the way to Psalm 150. And then I went back to Psalm number one. And I just repeated that. If you pray that way, you will find yourself praying for a whole lot of different things you would never, ever, 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 ever think of praying. Suddenly it's not just about us, but it's about the heart of God. I mean, even in the worship song that we sang this morning, when we sing songs like Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours, Open Up My Eyes so I Can Have Eyes to See, We take our eyes off of ourselves and we try to put our eyes, we try to put our heart where God's heart is and it should change how we pray. So are my prayers for just for my blessing? Are my sacrifices meaningless? Are my prayers just for my blessing? And then the third question that we see from Isaiah chapter one is, Is my faith expressed in action? Is my faith expressed in action? See, because if you're actually changing the way you pray, and you're not just praying for what you want, and you start praying for the things that are on God's heart, it should actually change how you and I live our lives. That's why we, as a church, that's why our mission statement here is that we want to be leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. I firmly believe with every core part, with my entire core of my being, that when you truly believe who God is, when you know him, it changes how you live. Not out of religious rules, regulations, because God's going to be mad, because my parents are going to be mad, because my youth leader is going to be mad, because Pastor Kevin's going to be mad. No. <laughs> but the more you know God, it changes our lives. Right? Is my faith expressed in action? Look at what Isaiah, uh, what God says through the prophet Isaiah here in uh, verse 16 and 17. It says, cease to do evil. Right, The sins that grip us, the way that we're living that's far from the way that God would have us live, when we're praying, when we're knowing who God is, when we're, when we're understanding why he set up church the way he set it up, when we're growing in that, we begin through the power of the Holy Spirit to be set freed from those sins. We cease to do that evil. And then also it continues, and then we learn to do good. <laughs> Again, as God is changing us, it changes our behavior. And then it gives us a definition here of what is good and learning to do good. What does that look like? Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead for the widow's case. You see, in the context here that in the days of Israel is that if you were without a father, if you were without a husband, You had no rights in their legal system. Like a widow, a woman widow, like if her husband died, she could lose her land. It could be taken away from her in the name of God. 
And hopefully someone would take care of that widow if she's lucky. Stand up for that. That's wrong. That's evil. And we've twist religion this way to oppress people, to punish people in the name of Jesus. Right? And that's not the call of the church. The call of the church is to seek justice. And this world is not just at all. <laughs> it's so messy and complicated. And, 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 and we're trying to figure out the church's role in it and all of this thing. But we seek justice anyways. We don't go, oh, well, we can't do anything about it. So we're just going to have another potluck. Okay? We're part of God's work in the world. He calls us to seek justice, to correct oppression. When we see people who are hurt and marginalized, we do something about this. I actually just recently had a conversation with our director of our, our Feb Central region here, so the denomination that we're a part of. And, and I've just been hearing language in our denomination that I'm just not happy with anymore. It's oppressive and it's wrong. And I told him, I'm going to bring it up every single time I hear it. I'm becoming that guy. (laughs) Now, I'm going to do it in love and in mercy, exactly like what we read about here. But we have to stand up for the marginalized. We have to stand up for the oppressed. It's the call of the church. We bring justice to the fatherless. To the ones who had no rights, to those who can't speak for themselves, we plead for the widow's cause. The one that religion would say you can't, right? And so do our, does my faith lead to action? I mean, James talks about this. James, the brother of Jesus, one of the apostles in his letter in the New Testament, he says, your faith without actions is dead. It's dead. It's dead. I don't care what you believe. I can tell what you believe by seeing what you do. That's how it works. You can judge me. You can judge my faith easily by going on my Facebook page and seeing how I live or talking to my wife and asking me how I treat her when we're privately at home. All of these things, faith changes our actions. We don't change our actions in order to please God and get faith. That's why it's know God, live, change our lives, live for God, and then share God everywhere that we go. And so the big idea that I want to leave you with today as you wrestle through these three questions, as I've been wrestling through these while doing a whole bunch of landscaping in my yard this week, (laughs) is the big idea is that God desires an authentic faith not a religious obligation. God desires an authentic faith, not a religious obligation. That's why God sent the prophet to speak to his people 800 years before the birth of Jesus, because they had gotten into religious obligation. Again, the danger for us as Christians is to go, well, then I'm just going to live completely free and do whatever I want. Well, no, that's going to break the heart of God as well. Because God still wants it, our faith, to change our prayer life, to change how we live our lives. That we're actually 
engaged in the work that God wants to do in the world. So ask yourself, are my sacrifices meaningless? Are my prayers just for my blessing? Is my faith expressed in action? Now, I'm not going to have a score for you at the end of this test. I'm not going to let you know if you're a futurist or if you're a type A or a type B or an LMNOP type personality. I, I don't have an answer. This is an answer between you and God. But the first question you have to ask before you can even answer these three questions is, do I truly know God? Or am I just doing church? And the way that you can truly know God, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I talk to so many people who say, God is too big to understand. And I go, actually, God is very easy to understand. Just look to the person of Jesus. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you have seen God the Father. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. I am the vine. I am the, I am the true shepherd. I am the bread of life. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. Not out of religious obligation, but because Jesus fulfills what Isaiah promised about this suffering servant, the one who would be born of a virgin, the one who would be nailed to a tree. And then he says that you will, your sins that are like scarlet now, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you've never accepted that free gift, you can do that real easy. Right here in the room or online, just say, Father, forgive me a sinner. May it just wipe my sin away. Make me clean as snow, like Isaiah says here. Come into my life. If you pray that way at Greenbelt Online, a little pop-up shows up. Please click that. Let us know you prayed that. If you prayed that here in person, come tell me after the service. I'd love to celebrate and rejoice with you. And then we go on a journey of making sure that our sacrifices are meaningful. Our worship is meaningful and pleasing to God. (laughs) That our prayers are yes for the things we need, but also for God's desires for our families and our workplaces and our nation and the world. And then each of us plays our role, whatever tiny little part it is. Not all of us are going to you know, be you know, politicians or business leaders or all of those things changing the world. All of us can change the world. All of us can change the world when we seek God's plan of justice and mercy and fighting for the oppressed and whatever that is for you. Because God desires an authentic faith from his church, not just a religious obligation. So let's pray. God, I I thank you for your words spoken through your prophet. I thank you for your words that uh, challenge the people of God. But God, your challenges are good because they are filled with your mercy. But they're filled with your justice. They're filled with your love. Because, God, you have great desires for our lives. You have great desires for your church. You have great desires for our nation. You have great desires for the world. And so help each and every one of us, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, thanks to the sacrifice of God the Son, that we would know that our worship is pleasing to you, that we leave the meaningless things behind us, 
the things that grip our heart, that make us angry about all the people around us. We let that go and we give that to you, God. God, that you transform the way that we pray. You give us a heart for our enemies, (laughs) that we would pray for those who persecute us, pray for those who want to kill us, (laughs) to change our hearts. (laughs) And that, God, you would lead us into your mission field of bringing love and reconciliation to the world, of fighting for the oppressed and fighting for the marginalized and caring for the sick and the poor and the hurting and the lonely. So, Father, I ask that you would build an authentic faith in me. Build an authentic faith in us. Build an authentic faith in your church. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.